Father, we thank you for being us, being with us here today, and we do ask that in your presence we might indeed listen carefully to what you would speak to us from your word and help me to explain it truthfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've got to say that having a sense of achievement, getting something done, really is one of the most pleasant senses or feelings that we humans can get. It's really nice to be able to get something done. Uh, And uh, when you feel you've you've got the power to do something, even if it's as simple as making a cup of tea, making the bed, getting to church on time, or even a bit late, the sense of achievement that, yeah, look, I I was able to get this done uh, is a great sense to have. Conversely, when we, we lack the power to do what we want to do through age or disability, for example, uh, that, is, that is something that's very difficult to, uh, to come to terms with. But there are also times when, as humans, uh, it doesn't matter who we are, we realise that we don't have much power. Uh, in fact, we realise that the power that any one of us has is absolutely tiny. Have you ever, well, I know that you have, have you ever looked up at the stars and thought to yourself that every single one of those stars is a vast nuclear reactor, many, many times larger than our Earth, and that there are billions of billions of those stars out there in the universe? Can you comprehend the amount of power that is operating in the universe? Have you ever looked up at a mountain and considered what an undertaking it might be to climb that one mountain, just to get your own body weight up there, let alone if you wanted, for example, to build a house up there, to get the materials up there to build a house? Have you ever observed helplessly while a human tragedy unfolded? A relationship broke down and you weren't able to stop it. A person was taken by illness and you weren't able to prevent it. Uh, Have you ever observed helplessly while something amazingly good took place? Like a child being born or like a perfect rendition of the theme from Schindler's List on the violin or a person becoming a Christian? And you thought to yourself, well, all of that was no thanks to me. I couldn't have done that. Our lives provide plenty of reminders that we actually have very little power. Very, very little power. And it's interesting to observe what people do about their feelings of powerlessness Many people turn to superstition. Now, that was definitely the case in primitive societies where everyone thought that the river and the mountain and the, uh, you know, the, the bush and the sun and the rain, that they were all animated by these spirits which needed appeasement. But even today in, in modern scientific society, uh, many, people, uh, have, many people are superstitious still, aren't they? I mean, there are, there are those old school sort of superstitions, the ones that my grandmother used to talk about, like that you shouldn't put new shoes on the table and, you know, you shouldn't cut your toenails on Sunday. People talk about not stepping on a crack and all of those 
old school superstitions, whether, whether it's those ones or whether it's just your own modern ones or your own personal ones, people still talk a lot about good luck and bad luck and, oh, I don't want to say this because I might jinx it. It's amazing how superstitious people still are in our modern scientific society. And I think what is going on is that people realise that there's just so much power out there that's not located in me. And so if there's anything that I can do to try to help the power to be a little bit more well disposed to me, you know, who knows if the superstitions are true, but people think, well, just in case. This is the thought process, isn't it, behind superstition. Another response to uh, feeling powerless is to accumulate wealth. Uh, money can't solve every problem, but it does make you feel a little bit less vulnerable. I read a great quote from a 20th century essayist this year. He says, There are few sorrows, however poignant, which a good income is of no avail. Uh, in which a good income is of no avail. It's a great quote, isn't it? Uh, there's also one a bit like it in the Bible. It's Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11. A rich man's wealth is like his fortified city and a high wall in his imagination. We feel safer with a, a sort of a cushion of wealth there to fall back on. And so that's one of people's responses to powerlessness. Yet another response, and I mean, you could try all three if you want, is to be what, what we lightheartedly call a control freak. I suppose we're probably all control freaks in some way or another. This is just the behaviour that people like to control what they can control and so they'll micromanage and they'll obsess and they'll intrude into things that aren't really their business because they're just trying to gain some control. Uh, sometimes we will even stubbornly refuse to do something which is in our interests just so we can control something, just so we can say, no, I'm not going to do that. Even after all of that, if you want another reminder about how powerless we are, have you ever watched the sea? Have you ever been in the sea, had a swim? Have you ever been on the sea in a boat? There is nothing like the sea to make us realise just how powerless we are. This was where Jesus' disciples would have felt their smallness that night after Jesus had fed the 5,000 people. Jesus had gone up on a mountain by himself to pray, so he was not with them. The disciples had got back into the boat to cross over the lake to Capernaum. Now, the, 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 the Sea of Galilee, it can be called and is often called a lake. It is by no means an ocean. It's a fairly small body of water, but it can still become very rough. They got into the boat at evening, and I suppose they must have hoped that they would make the few kilometres across the, the, the lake before it was fully dark. But the wind picked up, and basically they found themselves out in the middle of the lake about five kilometres from shore, and they were going nowhere. And by this time, it was well and truly night. Now, the disciples, although they were experienced on the sea, 
they would have been extremely worried. And if you're already worried, and perhaps a little fearful, a sudden surprise can turn your anxiety into terror, can't it? And that is what happened next, verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching, walking on the water. Now, they don't know that it's Jesus. And it says they were frightened. I think that's a little bit of an under-translation. They would have been terrified seeing this human figure walking through the waves. This is the moment when you're already anxious, you're already thinking, my life is in danger here. Seeing this startling figure walking on the waves, this is the moment when all control has been lost and we give in to sheer terror, isn't it? Of course, in in those situations, we don't even have enough control to speak and to think rationally. It's only a scream that comes out. But what that scream expresses is, I have no power. I have no control. This is the moment when I simply give in. I'm completely at the mercy of these forces which are outside me and which don't seem to be merciful. you read verse 20, you see Jesus' reply to the disciples' primal fear. He said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Now this simple saying has a a double meaning. On the one hand, Jesus is saying, well don't be afraid, it's just me. Jesus, remember, your friend. It's just me. You don't have to be terrified. And that would have been a comfort to them when they realised that this person who is, was the source of their terror is actually their friend. But on the other hand, Jesus' words here echo the Old Testament name of God. I am. He's saying, don't be afraid. I am. Don't be afraid because I, your friend, am the one who made all of these things and who rules them effortlessly. I am the Lord over everything which terrifies you. The I am, by the way, only provides comfort because Jesus is their friend. When Jesus said those same words, I am to the men who had come to arrest him in the garden of Gethsemane, they fell to the ground in terror. There was no comfort at all to them to know that Jesus is the I am. It was quite the opposite. But to Jesus' friends, the disciples, well, to know that their friend is the I am, Well, that is absolute comfort and peace, isn't it? And the removal of all fear. So here is the wonderful news to everyone who is a disciple of Jesus. 
Those words are for us as well. Don't be afraid. I am. I, your friend Jesus, am the Lord over everything which terrifies you. Verse 21 gives us the the outcome. They let Jesus into the boat and it says immediately they were at the place where they they were going. I'm not sure that it was a sort of a a miraculous, instantaneous get there. But the point is, Jesus' control over the wind and the waves meant that they, they got to their destination. They, they no longer were making difficult progress on the, on the lake because Jesus is Lord over the wind and waves. The sign which Jesus performed that day by walking on the water... Uh, In one respect at least, it's like the miracle that we saw last week in the feeding of the 5,000. That is, even without any Old Testament background, this clearly shows that Jesus is the Son of God. There is nobody else who could have done this. But if you know the Old Testament, well, it, it resonates in a way that makes Jesus' identity crystal clear. Job chapter 9 is a speech about the sheer all-powerful might of God. Uh, Job knew that he was completely within the power of of God uh, and he he lists the ways. You know, there, there is no way that Job could prove his innocence before God. There's no way that Job could summon God to court. After all, he is the judge and jury of the highest court in the universe. God's wisdom is profound His power is vast. You can't resist him. He's going to outsmart you and outmuscle you every single time. He moves mountains. He tells the sun not to shine. He treads on the waves of the sea. Job chapter 9, verse 8. Well, that's what Jesus did that day, isn't it? He trod on the waves of the sea. It's one thing for the unseen creator God to have all these powers which Job describes. But it's even more challenging, isn't it, and more comforting as well to know that the one who holds all these powers has walked on the earth. The all-powerful God has walked on the earth as a man on this planet and and shown himself to be that all-powerful creator. So the the almighty God is not just an idea. He is a reality. So real that all of the powers that flung the billions of stars into the universe at the beginning of creation, all that power is concentrated in the body of Jesus who walked this earth. No wonder he said to them, don't be afraid. Because if you're friends with the man who created it all, what could there be to be afraid of? Well, Job continues his speech about God's great power. Verse 11, when he passes me by, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. Now, in Mark's account of the walking on the water, there's a strange verse where it says Jesus would have passed them by. I believe it's a reference to this verse here in Job chapter 9. 
It just makes the point, yes, Jesus, he could have passed them by. The original verse in Job is about the fact that God can make himself invisible if he wants to. Some people who are sceptical about God point to the fact that we can't see him. How can he be so great if we can't see him? The sceptic says, I mean, how can we even be sure that he's there? But think about it for a minute. Invisibility makes a person more powerful, not less, doesn't it? It's not a problem at all for God that we can't see him. It's a problem for us, if you wanted to put it like that. Can God hide himself from us? Yes, of course he can. Does this result in many foolish people thinking that he doesn't exist? Yes, it does have that effect. Does this mean that we can only know God if he chooses to reveal himself to us? Too right? It does mean that. And all of this only underscores that God is almighty. He has all power. There is nothing that he can't do. And the night that Jesus walked on the water, he made it very clear that he is almighty God. All the power which made and sustains the universe was and is located right there in Jesus' body. And I might add that this, for us as Christians, ought to just make us think. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for mine, just think of the infinite value of the person there whose life was being sacrificed. This, this is the body that contained all the power that made the universe, and it was that body, that person who needed to die so that your and my sins could be forgiven and we could have the hope of everlasting life. I think if we could truly grasp what it means that Jesus is almighty, almighty, and if we could live consistently with that, well, that would utterly transform our lives, wouldn't it? What would it mean for you today to live as if Jesus truly is almighty. Well, it would obviously put paid to superstition because the river and the stars and the moon and, and every black cat you might have cross your path, well, none of them have any power. They are all under the command of the almighty Jesus who, if you're a Christian, is your friend. So wherever there would have been superstition, there should be prayer. It won't mean that Jesus answers every prayer the way that we want, but it does mean always that my friend is in charge of everything. So don't be afraid, Jesus says, it's just me. If we truly believe that Jesus is all-powerful, well, then we wouldn't view wealth as a means of keeping control, would we? The wealth that we have, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, has been entrusted to us by God for his kingdom. And he has all the power. 
And instead of being a control freak, well, we'll be the sort of person who accepts God's will in all things. The point which draws all of this together is is that we won't be afraid. We won't be driven by that fear that that, that drives the superstition and the building up of wealth uh, for, for comfort and all of those things. We won't be afraid because we're friends with the almighty Jesus. Let me, just, let me conclude by just drawing out that implication for prayer just one little bit more. I'm not just saying we should pray more. Like We all know that, don't we? We all know we should pray more. We should pray more. Or, or if you're a sort of a baby Christian, and then, then you know, oh, yeah, I should actually get to praying. Like I, I should actually build up my courage and, and, and open that conversation with God, which I'm so reluctant to do. Yes, yeah, we all know that. But will it help you to pray? Will it help you to feel motivated to pray, to arm yourself with this knowledge that Jesus is all-powerful, he is almighty, and that if you're a Christian, he is your friend? Now, if you had a friend who could do anything, wouldn't you talk to them and ask them to help you out? Ask you to help out with the problems that we see in the world. As I said before, the point which draws it all together is we won't be afraid, but instead we'll, we'll take our concerns to our friend in prayer because as Christians we are friends with the one who has all the power. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who, who, who rules the wind and the waves, who walked on the water that day on the Sea of Galilee, uh, we ask you please, uh, we thank you that, that, that you have made us your friend. Uh, and we, we thank you for this. And we ask you please to, to help us to pray and to bring our concerns to you to help us to have fear banished from our hearts by the knowledge that we know you. And, and Heavenly Father, we do ask you, please, that you would hear the prayers that we bring to you when we're anxious and that you would rule all things as we know you will for the good of those who love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.